cliffcentral.com. Simon Seabag Montefiore is a British historian, television presenter, and the author of a number of very, very popular history books and some novels. And I'm thrilled to have him on for the second time because the last time we spoke to him, it was for our podcast series on history called Blind History. And we spoke about some of the books that he's already written, but my goodness, do we have a reason to talk to him today. Uh, first of all, Simon, what a pleasure to see you. And thank Great you for to making see you. some time Great. for us. Great to be back with you and to talk again. Thank you. Thank you. Well, first of all, congratulations on this volume, which is absolutely, I mean, you know, people talk about, well, well done on your book. And, you know, you say that, especially to a first time author and they go, oh, thank you so much. And, but my God, this is, this is a magnum opus. I mean, this is really quite something. Um, thank you. You've written the history of the world, and it is nothing short of a phenomenon. And by the way, congratulations, because I saw on your Instagram that it is the Times History Book of the Year, which is another good reason to buy it and look at it and read it this Christmas, because quite apart from being very beautiful, it contains the most wonderful and beautiful stories. I just love the idea that you essentially decided to tell the story of history through families. That's right. That's right. I mean, what I wanted to get was I wanted to I wanted to write a book that combined the span of, of of world history with all the sort of with all the sort of huge movements, the advances in technology, the convergences and divergences. And at the same time, that had the the intimacy, the grit, the juice, if you like, of, of biography. And it occurred to me that um, that, that a family, a family history of the world might work. And so I, I, I embarked on this um, somewhat insane, but, but actually delightful um, project that's really been an amazing experience to write. Well, you, you have written a number of very, very successful books already, but this one is probably, just judging by uh, how much work must have gone into it, this is, this is probably your biggest project to date, I'm sure. Oh, by far. I mean, it's by far the biggest project I'll probably ever do in my life. And um, like I said, you know, when I embarked on it, I sort of realized that it was going to be it was going to be bigger than I thought and, and harder than I thought. I mean, all writing all books is hard. Um, but but this was especially challenging because it's all one narrative. So everything had to sort of fit in and link up. And mm. so that's sort of really that's really was it was a daunting prospect, but also really satisfactory. And as it turned out, um of course, it's for the readers to decide if they if they enjoy it. But it, it, it worked. It is one narrative. It does all hang together. And the style of doing it is original. I mean, no one's done this before. And I, I hope was going that, to, I, hope, I was going I to ask you, actually. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen history presented in this way before. And, and obviously, you're, you know, you're a, a, an experienced hand at telling stories and you've done the most incredible work, particularly on Russian history, which I've absolutely loved every step of the way and I, I i most recently read your book on on jerusalem which i also adored and here um this is probably the, the most ambitious task anyone could wish to tell because it's the story of humanity from its earliest origins in terms of king sargon for heaven's sake and the yes. figurettes of ur but how long did it take you to start putting this together i mean there's a picture that you also shared of you in between just thousands of books in your office which you must have had to you know kind of almost wind your way like a labyrinth uh, through 
how, how long did it take you and how much reading and research did you have to do as experienced and, 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 uh, powerful of, of a historian as you you yourself are and how much must already be in your head i mean this um, looks like a lot of a lot of source material yeah well that picture really catches it by the way that's a south african leopard's head there um, uh-huh. from my last trip in south africa which i love and so i keep it there as a sort of paperweight on top that's of a great. heap of books on africa um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the way, the way that, that office catches the sort of chaos and the sort of, you know, one has to, one, one has to master an enormous number of subjects to sort of get, um, something like this off the ground. And it's, so it's like sort of, you know, one has to sort of go and reads, and reads for each subject. So each of those piles of books in that photograph are, um, a subject, a geographical area, like, you know, but they're like ancient Egypt or, southern central africa in the 19th century or the arab world or whatever um britain uh america you know cambodia you know whatever and um you know so what i what i did in each thing was i read all the sort of i read the general histories on those subjects but then i tried to get into the academic and scholarly stuff so that i could bring um a new take on many of uh, many subjects and um but of course, by the end, I could barely get into my office or out of it. I mean, it's all still here, in fact, um, around me now. I have to sort of almost <laughs> crawl into this office to, um, to, I'm just sort of, you can see down here, you can see that it's all still, it's all still <laughs> a terrible mess. Um, Amazing. but, but, you know, but, but as the picture shows, you know, it was, it's been, it's just an extraordinary experience doing this and, you know, I've really, I've really enjoyed, I really enjoyed it actually, but it was, there were times I just felt I didn't sleep for about three years. Well, did you feel at the end almost a sense of relief or was it so much fun doing it because you do love reading and understanding and, and researching history? It's, it's part of what makes your, your own writing so charming and you make it easy for the rest of us to think we're discovering things anew. And, you know, there, there is that, scholarly and academic stuff which most of the pedestrian historians don't really get to participate in some of it in languages that are no longer spoken uh, and from source documents that are that are in you know museums in airtight uh, libraries where they they no longer see the sun or you know have to be ob- observed with gloves yeah. and you must have you must have got your hands dirty a little bit there too it also strikes me as Always. interesting sorry answer that question before i bring in more yeah no, no, I mean, the whole fun is, I mean, the whole fun. Yeah, I mean, the whole fun of it was, was just, um, compl- you know, it was just entering all these new worlds and, and working on sort of, you know, working on them, penetrating them, immersing oneself in them, and then deciding I've got enough to do that. You know, I've got enough on that subject. Um, now I need to get on to the next subject. And so the way I work is like I, 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 I master a subject and then I move on. So by the end, by the time I start writing, the idea is that I can sort of, I know where everything, um, where everything goes and where it's sort of, and if I've got enough on it. Um, but obviously in this case, I was continually fine. New books were coming out all the time. I had to read them all and, and, Im- and add them and encompass them, um, into the book. Um, so it really was, it was a lot of fun, but. In answer to your question, was it a relief? It, it's the biggest relief. In just seeing you <laughs> holding the book is just the greatest yeah. joy to think that I've actually sort of the book actually exists. There were, there were times when I thought I'd never, you know, I'd never complete it because they, once I'd started it, I realized it was so ambitious and so big. Um, 
that I was going to be, it was, you know, would I ever finish it? I sometimes wondered if I really would. And it's just a joy to see it in your hands. Yeah. We, you know, holding it up and I'm very proud of it. And it's such a relief. I can sort of feel like, you know, I feel like, um, I can, I can relax this Christmas. Well, I hope that um, everyone who's listening to this is inspired already to buy it. I mean, it, it, did your publishers put any kind of um, preconditions on it for you? I mean, it has to be no. this long or it has to be – because you must have reached a certain page count and gone, oh, I, I wonder if I've overdone this or maybe maybe they're going to try and edit it down and, and, and remove some of the stuff that I really love putting in. You can't get too attached, can you? No. I mean, you've got to be really ruthless. You've got to be able to drown kittens. And, um, but, but actually, you know, but actually it had to, it could be as long as a book could be, but no longer, obviously, because I wanted it to be in one volume. So that was the sort of, that was right. the, um, that was, that was the, that was the sort of limit. But the thing is that, um, they didn't try and limit me because the point is there are lots of short histories of the world. Um, and, um, they're also, you know, long, rather sort of textbooky kind of histories of the world. And this is, this is neither, neither of those. Um, and as for length, you know, it's funny because people say, oh, is it, is it, you know, it's quite, is it quite long. Well, it's the same length as the latest book of biography of Church, Winston Churchill. And it's the same length as the, as the bi- latest biography of umpteen American presidents. Um, you know, you know, there's a, re- there's a new book about Pre- President Ulysses Grant, U.S. Yeah. Grant. There's a new book about President Woodrow, uh, President uh, Woodrow Wilson. Um, they're exactly the same length as this. And this book has biographies of all, all of those people in it as well. So, um, it's actually, it's actually the right length for what I wanted to do. But it must have been very difficult to decide how much to keep in and how much to leave out. Because in some of these stories, especially the ones that you know best and that you love best, there must have been a, a temptation to, uh, tell a little bit more than, you know, almost to give everybody equal time must have been a very, very difficult thing to do. And I, I don't like to compare authors, but I've always said that one of the most extraordinary achievements of someone like Yuval Noah Harari is that he managed to condense what is an extremely complicated and pithy and full life's work in terms of studying history into a single book. And you have the same ability, which is almost more impressive than your already well-known abilities as a historian to be able to say, I'm going to just include this much. I'm not going to include all of this. I'll give you the gist. That's right. I mean, you know, I really thought hard about each subject and I, I thought, you know, first of all, what is the, you know, what is the essence of this? Um, I mean, first of all, I had to decide um, what to use as the tether for an important subject, whether it's, you know, new technologies or the, you know, the, the, the black death or whatever, who was I going to use as my tether? Because that's the idea. That's the idea behind the book is anyone can read this book. You don't have to know anything. It's totally accessible. Um, it's, 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 it can be regarded as an entertainment, but also it has the scholarship, um, underneath it and beneath it. And, and, and that provides a sort of framework that if you want, um, if you, if you're serious about historiography, um, then you can, then you can, um, find a new take, an up-to-date take, a, a challenging take uh, um, uh, that challenges the, the, the conventional wisdom, if you want. But I don't. What I do in the book is I don't. I don't sort of lecture. I don't um, polemicize. It's. It, it, I really follow the kind of rules, show and tell, and it, and and that and it can be read by anybody. 
and then you know then I just get try and get to the essence of the subject usually through the people and the people can be a family um, an individual a, a woman a, you know a man a child somebody who um some some group of people that a coterie of people that made made the you know, change the world or or linked to this to this development and that's the really fun thing so you know I really hope to sort of bring alive these people. And that's the great challenge of all historians, isn't it? Um, but I think Harari's book is great. Um, this is very different. That's about, that's sort of anthropological. That's really about, that really is about the species. Mine is the opposite, if you like. It's the antidote to that. And in fact, the, the Financial Times just reviewed it this weekend and said exactly that. They said, you know, one of the criticisms of, um, of, of Jared Diamond, um, you know, guns, germs, and, 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 and of, and of Harari's uh, sapiens is that they're sort of the actual individuals are too, are too far removed for it. And it, and it says, and this is the antidote to it. And, and that's exactly what I wanted it to be. It's literally the antidote to um, those two brilliant books. And of course, there's no point in reinventing the wheel. They've done, they've done those books brilliantly, but this is, this is a book that I was yeah. sort of born to write. Did you? Did you feel any pressure to give equal time? I mean, you really do go all over the world and you, you, you cover some people in history who I am embarrassed to admit I didn't know anything about. Um, which I think is terrific. I mean, what's the point of reading something that you already know? But, but there, there were stories about people and about families and about events and about things that occurred in history that we would have all been fascinated to know that I had no idea had occurred. And it, it is thanks to this, this tour that we do through time and through, you know, all these different places on, on the planet. Did you feel pressure to have to make it all kind of the same? Uh, no pressure. You know, make no pressure at all, because I've always wanted to write exactly this book, funny enough. But obviously, you know, in the last 10 years, history's changed a bit and it's now expected that there's much more diversity. There's much more about women and women's history and all those things. Are brilliant, are, are brilliant developments, which, which are huge improvements. Cause actually it was far too European. It was far too, you know, centered on, on men, on men, um, European men often mm-hmm. or North American and European men. But what's, what's great about doing families is, you know, they're very, you know, families can be as diverse as you like. And, and all families are a product of some sort of hybridity, some mix, mixture of peoples and places yeah. and times. And so, Actually, it's just suited this perfectly. So, yeah, and I wanted it to be as diverse as possible. And what I decided really early on, and this, this, this applies to, you know, this, this covers your part of the world is that, um, you know, it's going to be families. I decided to do something which hadn't really been done before, which is to treat the Zulu royal family or the, the, the ruling families of Benin or the Mali or, or Ghana, the Ghanas, um, to treat all those families um exactly as i would treat the rothschilds the habsburgs um the ottomans um or you know the dynasties that we're we're used to the windsors um and so so that's what i've done so you really do get you really are they are treated exactly the same way and the same with different parts of the world there's just as much africa as there is europe and there's a there's there's an enormous amount on asia in this book but I just sort of wanted to judge what was important, you know, what I felt was important and also what's interesting. And it's got all the sort of familiar characters that, you know, you'd you'd expect, you know, Mandela from Mandela to Churchill to Mm -hmm. 
Frederick the Great to to Nebuchadnezzar and Cleopatra. But it also is the whole point of it is it's full of people that, you know, you probably don't know about. I didn't know about a lot of them beforehand. So that's been the great joy of it for me. Yeah, there is there is this temptation though among historians to almost rank things. You know how they they you know and and it has been the case since the dawn of time. We call this person Alexander the Great, as opposed to Alexander, who was also a king and who also did some conquering. You know, so there's this temptation to kind of look at everything through this lens of history, and then of course as far back as you can go, it becomes more mysterious, and therefore they probably have more superhuman abilities, or they look to be more impressive. And of course, That's right. with the the with the perspective of much less time, we tend to be a lot harder on people. Um, you know, t- today is the day. Actually, uh, almost I think nine years ago to the day that Nelson Mandela died, and already you're getting these um, hagiographies and these you know these biographies about him where he he wasn't this and he wasn't enough of that, and we haven't even seen nine years go by yet. Yeah, yeah, that's, the, I think that's the point. I mean, you know, in this book, you know, you'll find these kind of great brand names of history, but I treat them slightly differently. I mean, Alexander the Great is a good example. I mean, he was an astonishing mm. personality. Um, uh, though there was lots that we don't know. And, but at the same time, you know, I placed him in his family, um, in the Macedonian Argia dynasty. So you kind of meet his family from much, you know, a couple of centuries before he's even born. And, you know, when you, when you deal with him, you just realize like he was this kind of pretty ferocious sort of warlord, con- you know, pretty, probably a pretty thuggish character. And mm. certainly, you know, he killed a lot of his own sort of closest friends. Um, and so when, when you look at the evidence, like, he's, he's, he's kind of less perfect than, than, um, than he's usually treated. And I'm sure the same is true with even with later characters, you know, the, the, the Mandela's or, um, the Thatchers, the, the, the Gorbachevs yeah. and so on. All of them are in this book. And the whole point is just to reassess them and treat them like they're humans. And, you know, in my life, I've been lucky because I've known quite a lot of these, I've known quite a lot of these kind of t- some Titanic figures, um, some politicians and in, in all sorts of countries. And they've read my books. And through that, I've got to know them or I've, you know, I've covered them mm-hmm. in some way as a war correspondent or whatever. And, you know, I've brought that. I've brought that to the book as well. So the last 50 years has quite a lot of these people. But the one thing you realize is that, you know, um, often politicians just get lucky or they get unlucky, you know, and, and, you know, they're actually, you, you kind of get it, you, you kind of realize that that, you know, they're pretty, that, that many of them are pretty ordinary people just in extraordinary situations. And of course we end the book with Putin and Zelensky, um, who are both yeah. examples of that in a way. Well, I mean, I, I will save that question for a little bit later on because that's, that's an ongoing story and something which you understand from a historical perspective probably better than anyone I'll get to talk to in my life. So I'll hear from you in a moment about that if we can save that for right at the end. But you also wrote this during COVID, which, I mean, when COVID came along, obviously we were all thinking, Oh no, this is the worst thing that could happen. And we were all mostly nervous about how badly it would affect us, the ones we love, our countries, all the rest of it. But there must have been some small part of you that went, aha, this is what I've been waiting for in order to approach a, a subject and, and, a, and a project of this enormity. Thank you very much. I'll start now. <laughs> it wasn't quite like that, but actually it was a kind of, <laughs> it was a kind of blessing for me because I'm just not sure I could have ever written this in any other time because, 
you know, my family were in the country. I was in London in this office, um, you know, working away. And I literally, you know, it was like a math, you know, in the, you know, in the most mafia movies, like when they go, when they go to the mattresses, you know, they just kind of <laughs> camp in a house with sort of shotguns and wait for, you know, doing one of those mafia. It was a bit like that. I, was, I, I sort of went to the mattresses, you know, I was living, right. I was just living for this book. I was like going to sleep at a sort of certain time, getting up at dawn, working all day, then going for a run or trying to do some exercise and sort of do, you know, but I was like total immersement, total obsession. And that's the only way to get these, these giant projects done. Um, and as for the COVID, you know, actually, I mean, at the time when I was writing it, it I, I happened to start on the literally the day of the first lockdown in 2020. I think it was March or fe- the end of February, March. March. And, um, you know, and actually, I sort of quickly realized that actually this was a kind of, in a way, useful for me. It was a great time for writers, actually, just to sort of be writing because it was so intense and focused. But but also, you know, obviously, pandemics and epidemics and plagues played a big part in world history. And so that really concentrated the mind. We were living through one. And that was interesting. And I was planning to end the book on the day the first person died in Wuhan of of, of COVID. But... But then, of course, Ukraine happened and that changed yeah. it. And then I, I already had a lot of Ukraine and Russia in the book, obviously, because those are subjects that are close to my heart and, I, and are very important. Um, it's one of the ironies, isn't it, that, you know, yeah. half of the academic world now is spent, is, is, is concentrating on sort of writing about imperialism and colonialism. And yet that none of them were writing about an actual empire that was actually, actually malignly um expanding and planning it planning expansion right now right in front of them and none of them noticed it anyway that's that's as as it is but i then changed the end of the book so that it so that it ended on the day of the invasion so let, let's since since we're, we're in this territory already but russia's yeah. russia's had this series of calamities and now you know once again the people of that part of the world have plunged into a war of you know whatever making the making of of a megalomaniac or whatever reason you choose because it's all to most people immaterial what started it but they're in it and the people of the ukraine and the people of russia now are forced to sacrifice their children and grandchildren and their economies and their lives and this the, the, the way that they live for yet another conflict do you think russia's particularly unlucky especially having looked at the whole world in your book or do you think that um, that they've just earned a reputation for that because the way that they've dealt with it. Well, I think that I think Russia's unusual in that um, it is a country that was founded as an empire. You know, Peter the Great founded. I mean, founded um, the Russian Empire, gave it the name Russia. You know, really comparatively recently, because you know when we look at the world, we think everything's been around forever. Of course, it hasn't. Um, mm. Russia, you know. He founded Russia in the uh, in the 1720s, really, and um, and he founded it as an expansive empire, and it hasn't really changed its view of itself and the world um, radically since. It hasn't it hasn't found a way to go beyond that vision. Uh, all the other countries in the world have, maybe maybe except China, but um, so so that mindset has. You know, it, it 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 hasn't really changed. I mean, obviously, there was sort of the Soviet Union was 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 of course radically different in many ways, but um, but it was but it also adopted that messianic um, that messianic sort of mission to the world, but adapting it to 
adapting it to Marxism-Leninism, encompassing Marxism-Leninism with it. And then the Putin regime has adapted parts of both those regimes as well and and added to it a sort of ultranationalism, which is very up, very modern. So, so for the Russian people, you know, they they, they haven't really gone beyond this quite this quite um, this quite aggressive vision of, of of what the Russian state is. And of course, it doesn't mean that Russia is only destined to be this sort of be this kind of country. I mean, there's no reason why one day Russia shouldn't be a democracy like anywhere else. Um, but equally, the Russian state itself, you know, maybe maybe it, it will fall apart. You know, maybe it will disintegrate if this war fails and it looks like it's going to. Maybe this will finally cure it of the of its of its imperial um, persona, which it's never which has never you know which has never managed to shake off so far. Does it strike you as interesting or annoying that so many people have a very simplistic view of history they tend to think well if i if i can just get you to this point in history then you'll understand why my version of whatever happened afterwards is a better version than someone else's and you see this all over the world you know if if we could just blame imperialism if we could just blame conquest if we could just blame um cultural suppression and 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 cultural kind of um submission you know, we look at ancient Rome, many of the, the nations and the families that you cover in your book are guilty of all kinds of dreadful things. And depending on where you take it back to, you can quite conveniently blame some of those along the way, where if you did a more nuanced uh, approach to the whole thing, you'd, you'd have a lot hard time ascribing guilt. I think that's right. I mean, you know, guilt is guilt is an interesting subject in, in history. I mean, first of all, you know, History that's that's um, that's fitted into any kind of um, straitjacket of ideology isn't isn't history. It's polemic, and so um, you know we were brought up with a certain vision in Britain of, of sort of Britain's sort of um, you know philanthropic role in world history, and that was an ideology. Um, <laughs> but now, but now we you know now um, academia is dominated by a vision that all sort of you know, especially British empires are sort of incredible vast criminal enterprise um that's also an ideology and that's equally wrong and so in this book for example i just try and come you know i try and find as close as i can to what i think is is um the right approach um and that 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 includes you know approaching the looking at the world in the whole that's the whole point of global history but also just not following conventional wisdom about guilt i mean i do think um i do think one has to show um, victims, whoever they are, um, that that means you mentioned hierarchies earlier. That means not having a hierarchy of victims and of goodies and baddies, for example. Mm. I mean, I mean, I think um, that um, that it, you know, it, 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 you, everyone counts or no one counts. So in this book, I try and show um, as many people who are killed um, by you know. By, by, by Asian leaders as I do by European leaders, for example, you know, in, in, in the history of India and the same in Africa. Right. Um, so I think that's kind of important. Um, everyone counts or no one counts. And I try and, I try and follow that rule in this book. I try not to be, um, to be controlled by any ideology, but equally there are things, 
it, it's impossible it's impossible um to completely divorce oneself from the present and the obsessions of the present for example you know there's a lot about empire in this book but not just the british empire the french empire the dutch empire the zulu empire you know um mm-hmm. other empires that are also important and at the same time you know we're very obsessed with slavery now well that's a very important subject that was neglected a long time so there's a lot about atlantic slavery the vast crime of atlantic slavery but at the same time we look at other slaveries that were just as enormous and you know no one really studies that you know, they should be studied much more widely so that's for example you know mediterranean slavery um east, Af- yeah, well, east african slavery is a huge subject even the kind that is still going on to this day yeah it's just it's this and the cover of your book i've got to just compliment you on that because if there's ever been an attempt to kind of show a whole lot of cultural and 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 uh, in in a, in a very small space this is it's beautifully done it also can serve just as well as that leopard head that you've got as a paperweight which when i wasn't reading it in my office it's been sitting there and i i, I sort of want to display it it's a nice book to show it's people good i mean but yeah i worked really hard on the cover because i had a vision yeah. of the cover i wanted it to look i wanted i didn't want it to look like any other book that's ever been and you very rarely see on history books those african and brazilian colors um yeah. or yeah. you know With the chinese so, dragons and the, and and the, the chinese and the kind dragons of, and the ottoman sort of mosaic background it's beautiful that's it's beautiful right stuff. that's right so that's sort of captures some of the nature of the book and the breadth of its approach. So you, you, you said something interesting just now about the, you know, being able to sort of talk about who killed, but very often history is just the story of the victors and the story of the battles. And what I liked about this is that even right at the beginning, you talk about King Sargon's daughter and, you know, what was done to her. And later on to Boudicca and, and many others along the way. And the, the story of these women who history just says, Oh, well, you know, she was, she was conquered. She was taken out by this guy. And they spend much more time talking about the guy. And I think one of the benefits of being around now is that there is this emphasis on the stories that were less well told, the stories that, that were less about grandiosity, more about human experience. That's right. I mean, that's the fun thing about one of the great things about family history is the history of women. And that's one of the great, um, really positive developments of this new history. Um, and of course, you know, women are hugely important in families, you know, clearly biologically, but also, you know, they came to power in family, um, in dynasties mm-hmm. and they became hugely important. Sometimes they came, they arrived as, as slaves, as enslaved persons. Sometimes, sometimes they came to power as, as the wives or widows or, or mothers of powerful, of powerful people, princes. Um, but the whole fun of this book and, you know, one of the things I'm proud of is the amount, the number of women shown in the book, oh, yeah. um, introduced in the book. And like you said, some of them are Boudicca and Cleopatra and Margaret Thatcher and Indira Gandhi. Um, uh, but some of them, uh, are, uh, an idea of in, in Benin and so on. But yes. some of them are women that you won't have heard of and, and you, we all should have heard of them. And so, you know, they, they play huge roles in this book. And it really, I mean, I suppose the surprise of it is, if, if it is a surprise, is that, you know, they're no better than the men, actually. <laughs> well, that's um, much. I was going to say those, those Julia Claudian women, I mean, Messalina and Agrippina, and these were not very nice people. 
No. I mean, they, they were in some they, ways more ambitious even than the men in those stories. Yeah. I mean, there are certain families or, you know, where to be a character in that family, to be a player, uh, you have to play the game of politics, whether you're a man or a woman. And, and you know, in, pers- in, in systems of personal power, um, mm. you know, the, the, the fight for, for, for power is absolute and very personal. And I think that's one of the themes of the book. And you see that all over the world today, just as you always have. When you talk about the themes of the book, um, apart from the family and the individual stories, it does seem to me that there's there's sort of this play on whether or not women and men have the same approach to power and whether men and women have the same approach to history even. Um, did you Did you come to any profound conclusions after studying these people in such great detail and, and weaving this tapestry together? Um, just that they, they, they have the, you know, they have the same approach. I mean, there are all sorts of themes about family within the book. I mean, one is the influence and the importance of, 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 of powerful mothers. And, mm. um, you know, another, I mean, on families themselves, I mean, you know, you obviously one, one sort of looks at family in detail here. I mean, of course, um, the biological family we all have. In some ways, we're all part of dynasties. That's the great thing about family history. And that's, you know, this fashion for looking into family histories now. You know, this, this, this book is very much part of that. Um, but in, in terms of, of families with our surnames and, you know, and, and the idea of primogenitor or, or, or a family with the name, um, of a dynasty. I mean, and, that and is and really. Here, and, and, and here in Africa, tribe. And how yes. important that that clan, tribe, language, cultural identities become. That's all really. I mean, that's all very much part of the book. And you know, one of the interesting things that's happening, you know, now is in much of the world, um, you know, family connections, family power, families are you know are, are coming back, and it looked like they were going to vanish forever. And you know, all all the states, all the new states in Africa, for example, and in Asia, post colonialism. Um, adopted the structures of, um, of often of American democracy, sometimes British democracy, but they kind of had a presidency, mm-hmm. le- elections, legislatures. But actually, a lot of them, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, became became sort of effectively autocracies or, or monarchies. And if you look at the world, especially in Asia today, um, you know, family, you see dynastic reversion. You know, you see powerful families. Um, you know, taking control again. And that's because states have failed to deliver the kind of security and justice that people expect. And they can get it. They, they feel they can get it most from their tribe, from their clan, from their, yeah. from their dynasty. There seems to be a, a little disappointment in democracy at the moment. And we had a new Zulu king enthroned just this year. Um, the, the, the seventh or eighth in line from King Shaka, who you also ca- cover in your book beautifully. Um, it does seem to me that there there is this, but then history is also, you know, the the old medieval wheel of fortune, that yeah. you know the the king climbs on, and as he's in the ascendant, then he's sitting enthroned and and in all his glory at the top, and then falls from grace and is eventually you know trampled underfoot. Uh, this is the story of so many nations and so many families and so many individuals all over the world, isn't it? That's the whole point of the book, really. It's like it's that you you put your finger on it. I mean. No one, even the victors, no one stays on top for long. Um, it's a, it's a relentless, um, game of power. And, you know, we look at it 
both in terms of little families and but also in terms of great powers and empires and states and none of them last for long and i think you know one rule is there about empires is that the more tolerant they are the more open they are the longer they last so you know the roman empire which made everybody in the empire a citizen lasts a thousand years almost um you know the nazi empire in europe in 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 world war 2 lasts 4 years because you know they exclude so many people with such brutality so if there's any lesson that's the that's one of the lessons that tolerance really pays in in matters of state um but you know but you're right i mean um you know we we cover we cover many victors but one of the things i wanted to do was not to have this as a victor's history so though it's got all the great powers and famous kingdoms that you'd have heard of has the zulus of course has many african um realms and kingdoms and families um but it also has um it also and of course it has russia and america and the british empire and the french empire and the chinese empire but it also has lots of smaller countries that people don't normally read about the albanians and the cambodians um you know many king the 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 sort of in, the, the 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 free the rebel slave kingdom of palmares in northern um yeah. brazil lots of places that that i think people would should know about and can enjoy haiti for example is a fascinating example or hawaii wow. so you know i've really taken a i really took pleasure in doing in covering those sort of places as well haiti was fantastic i mean the problem for for someone like me and i i don't want to put words in your mouth but perhaps also for you is you go down a rabbit hole and you can get very easily distracted because suddenly you find yourself so engrossed in the story of haiti particularly its foundation you know napoleon's links to that time in in french history the colony itself these uprisings the the way in that island people there were the the white whites and the black blacks and then there were the black whites and the white blacks and it was very very complicated and the the personalities of all these people come and before you know it you're reading seven books about that as well and now you've lost your way it must be very disciplined about these things i'm always losing my way i'm the you know i'm the greatest for that i mean this book is really the result of a of a thousand trips down rabbit holes (laughs) <laughs> and and that's the whole fun. I mean, that's the whole fun of the book. And that's why there are lots of sort of interesting footnotes that have stuff that I just couldn't resist. Um, but it's not just about statesmen and, and, you know, royal dynasties. There's also, you know, there's also rock stars and mafiosi yeah. and, yeah. and architects and artists and, and poets. And it's, it's got a lot of dark, of the dark matter of history, but it's also a celebration of sort of, of human ingenuity and joy and creativity and sex and love and and yeah. all of that music well the 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 Habsburgs are in a few more than one chapter um and and really i mean they lasted a very long time as a family didn't they but you've yeah. got the kims you know the, the 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 kims in north korea um you've you've got some others in ghana sadat in in jerusalem i mean there's some amazing amazing stories here yeah i mean it's um you know it's got a lot of the families of today and it's got a lot of the situations of today but it's also you know goes right back to the medicis and the borgias and the caesars um yeah, yeah it's all it, it's it's all there and i think as i said it's a sort of indictment of humanity but also a great celebration and i hope you all enjoy it well i can't think of a better note to end it on than that uh, simon it's such a great pleasure to speak to you again really the the warmest of congratulations on writing such an incredible work and and i hope that many people will 
take to this as their first journey into history because it does, as you say, come to you from wherever you may be. You don't need to be a historian to enjoy this book. And the stories in it will inspire many more people to write many more books, I should think. Thank you. And it's great to talk to you again more soon. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Lovely to speak to you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Same to you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.